Do you realize negative emotions can impair the ability of your child to learn? Today, our expert guest, Jessica Parnell, CEO of Bridgeway Academy, explains what this means and how you can use this knowledge to teach your children effectively. For today's show notes, visit VintageHomeschoolMoms.com, episode 355, Emotions Affect Learning. Bridgeway Academy, established in 1989, is the leader in homeschool education. With products ranging from individual classes to full-year curriculum to a private accredited academy, Bridgeway has everything you need for homeschool success. They've revolutionized the homeschool experience by introducing personalized, customized programs and the packages that fit your students' learning and personality style. For 30 years, they've been supporting families and organizations through homeschooling, helping craft the experience that fits your unique needs and goals. They've learned a lot about what works and what doesn't. As a Bridgeway family, you get the advantages of that knowledge without the bumps and bruises they gained along the way. Bridgeway Academy is your trusted partner for kindergarten through 12th grade home education. Visit homeschoolacademy.com for more information. That's homeschoolacademy.com. Hey, everyone, and welcome. This is Felice Gerwitz with an episode of Vintage Homeschool Moms, and today I have an exciting guest on the line that I'm going to introduce in just a minute. First, I want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Bridgeway Academy Uh, that's been around for quite a while, since 1989. You can find all kinds of custom courses and someone who will come right alongside you in your homeschool journey uh, for almost as much as or as little bit as as you need the help. You can find out more information at homeschoolacademy.com. And not only that, I have the CEO of Bridgeway Academy on the line with me, and that is Jessica Parnell. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you. It's good to be here. Good to be back, please. Well, I'm excited because we just did an episode um, tapping into your child's potential that I absolutely love. And I'm going to have those show links. You can find the show notes at VintageHomeschoolMoms.com. And the topic today is emotions and learning. So just look for that or you can search for that on the front of of the website as well. Jessica, you began as a teacher, so you uh, have a unique story, which I love, about how you found out about homeschooling. Why don't you share that with us? Sure, I'd be happy to. So as you said, I started as a teacher, as a public school, high school English teacher. Uh, And as a teacher, I was also in charge of the gifted program. So interacting with kids, both twice exceptional as well as gifted, and then also served as a learning support teacher to some students with learning disabilities. So I was immersed in the, in the public school world, but in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, parents who homeschool need to meet with a certified teacher at the end of the year to review their portfolio for the year and just kind of give that stamp of approval to say, yes, they, they met the expectations this year. I was always pro homeschooling anyway. So, um, a lot of parents came to me for those evaluations and for ideas and ways to kind of tweak to their either gifted child or learning disabled child. So I had lots of opportunity to meet home educators and see students from all different ability levels as we had those and conducted those evaluations year after year. 
So I had the very distinct privilege of seeing the outcome of home education and was so impressed by what parents were doing, what kids were doing, watching them as they moved on through graduation, that by the time I had kids and was making education decisions for my kids, I knew that homeschooling was the route I wanted to take. And so that's how I started in the homeschool realm and uh, really have, have loved every moment of it. That's great. And then um, your parents were actually the ones who began Bridgeway Academy, and then you've taken it over. And again, I'm delighted with uh, kind of the focus of Bridgeway, if you will. Share that with our listeners. Sure. Yes, I'd love to. When, and I think part of the, the focus of Bridgeway Academy came out of that public school experience. As I said, I was working with gifted kids, learning disabled kids, uh, seeing how easy it is to adjust to their learning needs and get a completely different outcome. Uh, and so I came in with that mindset when I came in and took over Bridgeway Academy and wanted to give parents those same tools. So we began to look out and say, okay, what are those primary, first off, learning styles that students learn, the way, how they learn best, and we as teachers tend to teach the way we learn best, and, and it doesn't always work for our kids. So we wanted to give parents kind of education on learning style, how, how, because it's more than just learning by touching or feeling or moving. It's also how you think. So a visual learner mm -hmm. thinks differently than an auditory learner. Uh, so now as students enroll with Bridgeway Academy, we have a, a, an assessment that lets us measure their learning style their personality style, and then also their academic level. And we work with over 40 publishers to provide a, a program that is specifically tailored to that student. And we take it one step Very further true. and we do talk with parents to say, hey, how engaged do you want to be? How many children do you have? Do you want to teach any subjects together? So that what we're doing is creating really a tailored program for the family. And we've just seen incredible, incredible success with kids, uh, whether they were gifted and already highly achieving or struggling, that tailoring mm -hmm. really helps them take that next step to success. No, it does. It does. It really, it really does help. And that's wonderful. And you have three children. Mm -hmm, I do. Yes. All have yeah. graduated. My youngest just graduated last year, completed her first uh, college year this past year. And then I have my oldest is off to law school next year and uh, very proud of her. She worked very, very hard and Wonderful. was able to get a full full scholarship to call it for uh, law school. And then my wow. middle child is, is now going into her junior year of college. Wonderful. That's that's great. So you have, you know, a focus on, on the academy, but you also have done a ton of work and studies on the brain and how important that is for learning and just understanding some things, which we discussed in the last episode. And today our focus is going to be with emotions and learning. And this hits very uh, close to home because I've had a lot of experiences with my own children and my grandchildren in learning and their responses depending on emotion and how I would say, it looks like we're not learning anything today, so we're going to close the books and we're, you know, I would go into the lecture mode, unfortunately, for my kids. But, um, but I, I learned early on that if they were not there mentally, that we, it was going to be hitting your head against the desk kind of a day. So we're going to start with the first question, which is, what does self-control have to do with learning, and how important is that? 
Yes, uh, thank you for that question. So, so when I want to just back up just one moment to talk about sure. uh, the part of our brain that is the emotional center of our brain, and that is our limbic system. Uh, and that limbic system, um, it, it all kind of relies on a part of the brain called the amygdala, where it, which is constantly on the lookout for potential threats. It's making a decision every single moment about what it sees and determining what reaction we have. And so our, we're, we're kind of geared for this fight or flight type of a reaction to things. We're geared to be looking for those threats. And so our students, especially if they're coming from a struggling standpoint, are often already approaching learning with a little bit of stress. And, and so therefore, it's, it can often compound very quickly into stress. And what we found through fMRI studies is the moment that our limbic system flares, the moment our emotions rise, we literally see an equal response in the prefrontal cortex. We literally can't think. And so when we think about when we're angry and we spew something out that we never would say when we're calm, we're literally usurping our ability to think when we allow those emotions to flare like that. And so just as we have seen it in our daily routines, our kids are feeling it as they're trying to learn. Um, and so we have, we want to be aware of that. We want to be aware of what triggers those emotions in our kids. And as you said very wisely, there's a time to just stop trying because if they're emotional and they're feeling that struggle and we're trying to push them to learn anyway, they literally cannot think like they could if their mm -hmm. emotions were measured. So it's a, it's a losing battle, isn't it? <laughs> Right. So there, I'm sure we're going to discuss the balance. Some parents have difficulty with the whole self-control thing with their kids because so many different opinions out there by psychologists about how to parent. You can go from free range kids to the, no, it needs to be super disciplined at my house. The point I'm making is that how does that fit in the, the disciplinary aspect along with the emotions? Sure. You know, it's almost like they're tied together in some in some arena. Absolutely, sure, and and you're 100% right. That that disciplinary aspect of self-control is essential to life. We see that in in our interactions with people we work with or serve alongside. When, when someone does not have the ability to manage their emotions, it creates a tension around them. It also makes them less able to have the impact that they could if they could manage those emotions. Uh, one of my favorite studies on this was done in the 60s by Walter Michel, and he, he actually, uh, some of you may have seen his, his footage where he brought in children that were three to five years old, and he put them in a room alone, and in front of them, he gave them uh, they, we, the story is told now a marshmallow, but they had a choice of a treat. And he basically said to them, I, I need to go. I'll be back in 15 minutes. I'll be back soon, he said. Don't eat it. If you don't eat it, I'll give you two. And then he left the room. And they just videotaped these kids trying to keep themselves from eating this treat. So they, some of them were trying to look away. Some of them picked it up and licked it and put it down. And basically at the <laughs> end of the experiment, they found that, that there were only about 20% of the kids that did not eat the marshmallow. And because his kids were in that experiment, that was the end. That was all he intended to do was show how many kids had mastered self-control. But because his kids were in the experiment, he did another follow-up study. 
And they started to show that those preschool students that delayed that gratification or kept control of themselves, they were described about 10 years later by their parents and teachers as adolescents who were just more competent and uh, controlled and had good friendships. And then he followed up again in 1990 and he showed that these kids had higher SAT scores, lower levels of substance abuse, lower likelihood of obesity, better response to stress. I mean, all of these things that indicate kind of the success rate of a child, of, a, of an individual who can master himself, itself himself. And, you know, control that mm. self-control is important. So it is important that our kids learn self-control. But there are parents on this podcast likely who have kids who do end up throwing a tantrum or who just they just don't know how do mm. I, what are some strategies for helping my kids get control of themselves? Um, we know what doesn't work, right? We can't master it for them. We can't force them to do it. We can't respond in anger. That just elevates the situation. But there are a couple ways that we can kind of usurp the emotional center of our brain. Um, and one of those ways is to engage the prefrontal cortex. And to do that, it's, it's just simply asking them, I want you to state right now, state, what are, what are you feeling? So I feel angry. Um, not I am angry, right? Because we don't want to make it a, you know, there's, mm -hmm. there's, this is okay. It's I feel angry. Don't explain it to me any longer. But the moment they have to put a word to it, they engage the prefrontal cortex. Um, I actually had a, a young girl that was, I was babysitting her and um, I wasn't sure what I could do as an authority figure because I was babysitting her and she was out of control and I, and someone in one of my workshops had shared with me, I've, I've also heard that if you just have them, if you give them a word to say, it helps calm them down. So I said to her, Lily, say self-control. And she said it and I could see her to calm down a little bit. And we did that twice and then she was calm. And it was, it's just amazing how when you can engage the brain, you're, you're, it's the same reaction, right? The arousal in our emotional center is in direct correlation with the, in the, with the arousal in our working memory and our, in our prefrontal cortex. Same thing happens when we're engaged mentally, our emotional center is calmer. So just getting them right. to state it is one great way to kind of help them master those emotions and get those things under control. Um, the other, another, go ahead. Sorry. I'm. Yeah, I want to jump in. Um, so she's using a lot of great terminology like prefrontal cortex and working memory, which we covered in the last podcast. So uh, you're going to want to, you know, I, again, I'll have a link at Vintage Homeschool Moms and that one is tapping into your child's potential. Um, and so that has a complete explanation of that. We really went into it in depth. So I, I don't want to spend the time today going through that again. So go run over and listen to that one as well. So then you, you had them state what they were feeling. I hate what I call character assassination. Sometimes you cringe and if you're out and hear a parent, you know, say things like, I can't believe how bad you are. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't address that. I asked you to sit down and you are standing. You know, what did mom ask you to do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, before we left, we are going to the museum. Where are your hands supposed to be? Was one of the questions I would ask. And they have the options of behind their back and, you know, clasped in front or in their pockets. So if they had pockets. <laughs> so they knew before we got somewhere what was expected. And then we'd get out of the car and I'd ask them again. 
I, and I said, mommy really wants to go because mommy wants to see her friends. Homeschool parents are excited to go see other adults. So I wanted them to behave. They knew what they had to do or we were leaving. And it only takes one time, parents, and it's very, very hard. And I only had to do it one time. Follow through. It, and it's a killer. So, you know, these are, are things that are doable and it's sometimes frustrating, but asking them because they will tell you. And when they do, then that's going to make them think is basically what you're saying when it engages their prefrontal cortex. Correct. It's going to make them be able to think and make that decision. Okay. Yeah. Well, you've actually brought up a, a really great point and that was the follow through on things because there's, there's, three very common threats, common triggers to our emotional center. Uh, one of those is status, when we feel there's a threat to our status. So as you said, if, if, we're, if we're calling our kids, you're bad, or, or calling them a name, or, or you know, pointing out how so-and-so's kid is doing so much better than you, right? We're giving them a threat to their status, and that can raise mm -hmm. emotions, which can make self-control difficult. But another one you mentioned was uh, certainty. So a threat to status can be uncertainty. So if I don't know what's expected of me, I, I, and or if sometimes I get in trouble for this and sometimes I don't, there's a lack of certainty there and that can put our kids on edge. So that consistency is so important and certainty, especially there are kids that are, that are very, very threatened by uncertainty. And so we want to make sure that we're giving them as much clarity and certainty as we can because it levels those emotions and, and mm -hmm. reduces the chance that they're going to react in a negative way because we're kind of meeting them where they are. Um, and the last one is autonomy. I, I mentioned in earlier that one of the greatest gifts we can give to our children is ownership. And so letting them step out and do things, we step back, we let them step up to do things, gives them that sense of autonomy. And if we can continue to encourage that in them, we're preparing them for life, but we're also kind of short-circuiting another one of those triggers that can that can set uh, off the emotional centers of our brain and, and lead to a lack of self-control. So being aware of those triggers, being aware of those threats, knowing what our children tend to react to and making sure we're kind of staying ahead of that can help them build the tools to keep the emotions under control. And I, I love those points and that I'll put these in the show notes as well. But, um, you know, we did discuss a little bit about getting them back under control, but can we go into that a little bit more? Because I think that's an area that is difficult. I think we've all had a child from time to time that has had a meltdown, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully in the home, not outside of the home, but it's, so when a child is in that state, like I would have loved to have this podcast, like help, what do you do to calm down a child if their emotions are high, if they're having a meltdown or if they're super upset, if you're trying to maybe teach a new concept and they're getting frustrated? Mm-hmm. So first off, that's one the one strategy, what we call labeling, is to have them speak what they're feeling. And, and again, that's engaging the brain, is raising the thinking part of our brain and dampening emotions. Um, but secondly, just as a quick encouragement to parents who do have those kids that have those meltdowns, especially when you're out and about, um, that in, we, we, we tend as young parents to be very embarrassed by that because, you know, right. 
we have to look like we have it together. But the reality is if we're looking at other people's children and, and they're throwing a fit, are we ever thinking how bad that parent is? Or are we feeling compassion for that parent, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So, so be aware of that, that the parent, we're not condemning, people are not condemning what's happening to, with your child, unless you're reacting in a bad way, then you might have somebody who's a little surprised, mm -hmm. but that calm, okay, what are you feeling? Okay, we'll talk about it later. Let's get, let's get out of this situation. I've actually had one situation where I watched a mom leave her entire cart of groceries and walk out and put her kid in the car. Mm -hmm. And that's how she, that was the agreement they had in advance and she followed through. Um, but another method that you can help to really um, help calm our kids down is, is to help them learn to, to reframe what they're experiencing. So when, first off, as you met, your question was about what's happening if I'm trying to teach a lesson and they're having that meltdown, it's time for a break. There, don't battle that because what happens is you've now made something that's not a moral issue, right, a battle. And we're battling to get a lesson completed versus, okay, this kid needs a break. We're going to stop. We're going to come back to this later. Um, my oldest daughter was a phenomenal math student. But she hit fourth, fifth grade, and suddenly she started to struggle with math. And I think because it had been so easy for her before then, she was very mm -hmm. frustrated by this struggle. And if we started with math, so in my first podcast, I talked about, you know, kind of structure your day. So you're starting with the most difficult subject. That did mm -hmm. not work for her because her personality is this driven personality and the struggle she was having would throw her off and the rest of the day would be a nightmare for all of us. So it didn't work for her, but what I did found actually by accident, we were a highly sports family where we had a practice, a different sports practice and or church every night of the week. So we would leave and we'd go into a soccer practice and we'd come back and, and close up for the day. Well, this day she didn't do her math and I had stopped everything. So we're going to come back to it later. We didn't get back to it until after soccer practice and we came back and I think because she had been moving her spine all of that time, all that movement, all that break from academia, she wasn't feeling threatened. She sat down and was through math. And so we actually mm -hmm. started structuring our day that that's her math happened wow. now, um, because she needed wow. that break. So I do encourage parents mm -hmm. to push it. First of all, you're fighting a battle that's just going to have both of you frustrated Secondly, when emotions are high, they're not able to think the way they can to comprehend. So if they're already struggling to comprehend, they're not going to comprehend better when emotions are high. And secondly, it, it gets you tense and that affects the whole household. So I encourage you to just take a break, come back to it later, but do come back to it because they need to know I don't get to do this and get right. out of the work. <laughs> I will. Come that was my next question. <laughs> right. Right. When kids try to use that right mm -hmm. come back to it perfect Correct. now I, I i absolutely love it and i love that you said it's not a moral issue it's amazing because a lot of times we die on the hill we can't do that and have longevity in our homeschool life especially as we work with our children so these are some things that that you're sharing with us today jessica that are proven scientific studies um, I mean, I'm a Christian homeschool mom. You were as well. We love our kids and, and God gave us these children. So we should be already expecting great things, whether it's an incremental approach where, wow, they wrote their name on a line today. Yay. We're doing good to something phenomenal where you see something click. It's almost like them taking their first step. Mm -hmm. It's something to celebrate. So 
we really need to focus, I think, on that and how, which I love about this two-part series we did, is we're really looking at their potential, Jessica, and we're, we're gauging them for success. So important. Yes, and you, and you made a great point there, even just, just that little concept of expecting, expecting the best and, and seeing our children for who they were designed to be. We can so easily get caught up in the negative, um, of, in the struggles that we're having, but these kids have been designed for a purpose, and they've been given mm -hmm. to us for a purpose, and one of my favorite verses that I, that I uh, I'm constantly trying to keep in mind is Philippians 4 8 where it says finally brethren whatever things are true whatever I'll, I'll paraphrase true noble just pure lovely whatever's of good report uh, if there's any virtue if there's anything praiseworthy think on these things because we can also program ourselves to look at our kids in a negative way instead of looking at all of their gifts and then that's what we notice so that's part that's of control wonderful. as well, control as well, as we look at their gifts, we look at what is praiseworthy, we think on those things. Do we ignore the other? No, we do discipline those things, but we don't want those things to become the identity we assign to our kids. Right. And that's, and that's so important because like my husband says, this is a safe zone. Mm -hmm. Home is where they need to feel that they can succeed and be loved, you know, no matter what. And so, you know, you, you try to instill that with your kids. You're not always successful, but at least, you know, it's an attempt in the right direction. Right. And then we are running out of time. So I want to really hit this point, too, that you mentioned, and that is some ways that we can uh, reappraise. Am I saying that correctly? Reappraise your kids. Right. So reappraisal is another great strategy for helping kids learn to helping ourselves and our kids kind of get things under control. And that is simply a, it's a cognitive change then because sometimes when we are feeling frustrated, or when our kids are feeling frustrated, we ask them just we just tell them, I need you to get it under control. And so they're really kind of suppressing their emotion versus being able to reappraise. So if the situation is such that, and that one of my triggers is, is to be late. So if I'm out and I'm traveling, I'm stuck in traffic, I can feel my emotions rising because I don't like to be late. And so I've had to train mm -hmm. myself for a cognitive change. You know, when, when my mom was alive, it was my excuse to call her. <laughs> okay, I'm in traffic, great. I have time to call my mom. I can talk to her on the phone. Mm -hmm. And just shifting that cognitive change because it, there's no arousal then to our emotional center and it allows us to be able to think clearly so teaching our kids to kind of think through things differently so yeah you're frustrated today today's battle is over i, I don't know like well, i'm going to use math because that's what my my daughter experienced All right um let's shift gears okay as a result you get to take a break now that's a cognitive change we're going to take a break we'll come back to this later when you're ready and then when you come back to it we're we're ready to to tackle it again and we can continue to help them redefine that. Okay, we recognize that this is a little struggle for you, so let's talk about it first. Let's figure out how we're gonna approach this first. And doing that when they're not in high stress, helping them do some kind of reappraisal um, when it's not even high stress. So they see you frustrated and you say, okay, I'm gonna rethink this. You know, that man just cut me off in traffic. He's probably rushing to the hospital because his daughters in the hospital. Just that little reappraisal dampens our emotions and helps our kids to say, there's, so, there's a positive side to this or there's another side to this and I don't necessarily need to be upset about it. 
Um, that is mm -hmm. the most powerful way to calm emotions. Uh, so if we can train our kids to think that way, to just flip it um, in their mind and, and think about the other side of things in their mind, they can truly learn to master those emotions very well instead of suppressing them. Because suppressing them, mm -hmm. the emotion center is still just as high. There's still an effect on memory makes others uncomfortable. We often think that's passive aggressiveness. Sometimes it's just pressure. Right. It feels tense. Whereas a cognitive change, there's no tension in the room. There's no effect on others. So teaching them how to do right. that is, is a great strategy as well. Yeah. And from the spiritual aspect, if you're having the children repress all this stuff, then there goes into the forgiveness and the <laughs> unforgiveness does. and the whole yeah, it really does. And, you know, I, I've seen this and you, you know, it's, it's amazing how we can sometimes shut down for lack of a better term, because of having to deal with as a parent, so many different issues, especially if you have multiple children. And so knowing this information, I think is such a godsend. Jessica, I'm so delighted to have you on the show today, because this is going to be very helpful to parents. So they can put things in perspective and also help their children to become more emotionally aware as well as have that self-control, which is such a gift um, in the long run. Yes, it sure is. Well, is there anything else you'd like to um, have our parents remember today as, as, they're, as we're ending this episode? Yeah, I just, I think the, the only thing, the last thing I would just encourage parents is, you know, our number one way to regulate the the tone in our home is to control ourselves. Because the mm -hmm. bottom line is the only person we can control is ourselves. So if you're struggling with self-control, these are tools you can use as well. Um, but that is the key to keeping that that tension out of our home is, is our reactions and our control of ourselves. So I encourage you, if, use these tools, talk to someone if you need someone, get a support network. Um, because when the home is 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 calm, it, it it makes all the difference in your homeschooling efforts. No, it really does, Jessica. I cannot thank you enough um, for coming on and uh, and sharing with us. Well, thank you for having me. I've I've truly enjoyed it. Oh, I've too. And friends, if you want to get more of Jessica, um, check out the. Bridgeway Academy website. There is so much there. Um, you have heard how knowledgeable she is in the uh, this podcast, Emotions and Learning, and the last podcast, Tapping into Your Child's Potential. Um, and just think, that would be someone who could come alongside you in your homeschool journey. So uh, check out homeschoolacademy.com, and you can find out more information there. We also have social media links on the website at Vintage Homeschool Moms. Look for 355 Emotions and Learning. Take care, everyone. God bless, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Vintage Homeschool Mom Show. Visit Felice at MediaAngels.com and the VintageHomeschoolMoms.com. Vintage Homeschool Moms is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.